Hey everybody, welcome to Prefer Not To, a sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Josh and Kate. As revealed on the bottom of the stone, fought over so viciously by the mountain people and the valley folk below, I am not Kate. And as recently discovered on the missing half of the Rosetta Stone, I'm not Josh. Every week, Kate and I make a cocktail, talk a bit about its history, render a verdict on it, and then enjoy a movie, talk about that, send you on your way, all in less than an hour. How's things going, Kate? Things are good. I got the day off. Yeah, that was nice. How'd you swing that? Uh, my brother's getting married this weekend. Wow. Oh, I need yeah. a brother. Yeah. Of course, I'd have to have a job to take off from first. Uh, well, I don't know how brother-to-brother relationships are because I only have sister to brother so I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you guys would be like the cool kind of brothers where you're like best friends or you're like the cool vampire brothers from the vampire diaries or if you're like hate brothers like Hamlet's dad and his uncle no I think I'd be the older brother who you reluctantly relied on to give you a ride but like who you insisted drop you off a block before school starts because no one wants you don't want anyone to know that uh, I'm your brother and he'd always ask you, like, you would always ask what the kids are into these days. Yeah. And, like, I, well, not me, but your theoretical younger brother right. would be like, oh, my God, it's Explain not... the Kanye to me, Conrad. Yeah. <laughs> Is your younger brother's name Conrad? Yes. Yes, okay. it's Conrad. Conrad Lucas. Yes. My parents were fans of uh, Conrad Bain. What's the middle name? Is it Conrad Bain Lucas? It's Conrad Bain Lucas. I was going to be Gary Coleman Lucas. It was all from a period in time that is lost to us now. The 70s? Well, the early 80s. Well, not so much anymore. Not, not with the Harvey Wallbanger, that's true. Um, and I want to hear about the Harvey Wallbanger and what happened with it and why it exists. But first we have to do the standard disclaimer. Standard disclaimer number one, neither Kate nor I is a cocktail expert or a movie expert. We'll probably say something very uninformed about your favorite movie or cocktail. Uh, let us know. Send us an email or visit us on the web. Second disclaimer. Alcoholism is a serious condition, not unlike polycystic kidney disease or alopecia. If you had either of those, you'd be talking to a physician, and so you should be if you think you might have a drinking problem, or if you think your friend might have a drinking problem. You don't need to have a drink to enjoy the show. So, Kate, what's a Harvey Wallbanger? A Harvey Wallbanger is a... About four feet. I don't... (laughs) A Harvey Wallbanger, a mong being a uh, four-foot unit of length that Josh mm-hmm. just made up. Derived, it's imperial de- I was going to say, derived from sailors who in the olden days would uh, measure their ships by Harvey Wallbangers. They had a guy named Harvey, and they would space the rooms apart as far as he was tall, and he was only four feet tall. Yep. So when they would put him in the room to measure how wide to make the room, he would bang against the wall with his head and his feet, hence Harvey Wallbanger, and he liked uh, to drink orange juice, vodka, and uh, Galliano. Yes. Another origin story is uh, that, like Josh just said, uh, this is a cocktail comprised of vodka and orange juice and Galliano, which is an Italian liqueur that tastes like anise with a hint of vanilla. It is like 26 goddamn dollars a bottle. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody that's... drank it one day and said, oh, this tastes like anise. <laughs> and that's what's in our cocktail. The Harvey Wallbanger is... What's its provenance? The Harvey Wallbanger was supposedly invented in the 1950s in Southern California by Duke Anton, who was the same gentleman who also claimed credit for the Rusty Nail and the Godfather and the White Russian. 
Mm-hmm. It is a cocktail made of vodka and orange juice and Galliano. However, uh, it was not did not enjoy much of the fame or its notoriety until well into the 70s. So Donato supposedly um, invented it and named it after a man who loved to surf on Manhattan Beach, whose name was Harvey. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was either given the name the Harvey Wallbanger because he was so drunk after drinking too many that he stumbled around and hit himself into the walls and Mm -hmm. banged around a lot, or because he was so upset after a particularly troubling day at the beach that he just kind of hit his head against the wall in the bar um, while he had them. So the drink wasn't entirely popular until the 1970s when a man named George Bednar, who also claims credit for inventing the entire cocktail... Uh, was working at McKesson Imports Company, which was the importing company that handled Galliano because Galliano is an Italian liqueur Mm -hmm. that was invented in 1896. And Mm -hmm. I'm willing to bet it was relatively unknown in America at the time. Mm -hmm. He came up with an ad campaign and a slogan for the Harvey Wallbanger, which presented a kind of oafish-looking bald buffoon who looks very He's almost like an R. Crumb cartoon. Yeah. And it, um, it, it, the tagline being, my name is Harvey Wallbanger and you can make me. Right. Or alternatively, Harvey Wallbanger that's, has been here. That's like or, the, the low self-esteem. Harvey Wallbanger is the name and I can be made. Which to me, I guess I understand they're trying to pitch the simplicity of the cocktail. But to me, it comes off as yeah, like, it's like bologna this, sandwiches. You can make me. It's like I just picture this poor little like person who wants to make a cocktail but can't figure it out. Like they pick up vodka Come in one hand. Come over to my house. And they pick please. up some cranberry juice in the other and they're like, shit, I can't do it. I can't figure it out. And there's and, Harvey to calm them down. And then Harvey's like, hey, listen. Hey, you can make me. You can make me too. That ad campaign was very successful and led to a huge increase in the importation sales of Galliano in the United States throughout the 1970s. By the end of the 1970s, the McKesson Imports Company had sold, um, or excuse me, Galliano had exported about 500,000 cases a year to the United States by the end of the 70s. That seems to be like what the key is with a lot of these liqueurs is if you have one cocktail that reaches enough critical mass. You yeah. can guarantee that bars have to buy your little thing in order to make the cocktail. And it's it's a I mean it's a pretty bottle. It's a pretty bottle. It's designed to evoke Roman columns or some shit. Is what I read, but it's It, it looks honestly it looks like a bottle of olive oil. Yeah, it does. It does. You're right. And I back on our show on the fuzzy navel, we talked about I quoted a New York Times article that said by the 1989, you know, the fuzzy navel was a fashion fad and it had kind of gone the way of the Harvey Wallbanger by the right. end of the 80s. It is so, so associated in popular imagination, I think, with, you know, wall-to-wall carpeting, uh, wood-paneled station wagons, Yeah, um, um, T- T- Barney T- Miller. TWA actually um, served, started serving this in its 747 cocktail lounges. Mm-hmm. In the 70s, which also helped it become very popular, there's Harvey Wallbanger cake recipes, which I imagine taste very sweet. 70s. Like, what do you think of, what does it taste like to you? It's really sweet. I mean, it tastes like a screwdriver that has some something sweet in it, which is what it is, essentially. Which is licorice is what it tastes like to Yeah, me. well, it doesn't taste quite as gross as, like, Sambuca. No, um, it doesn't. Which is sort of the acid test for licorice liqueurs. But I've never had it by itself. Sambuca or Galliano? Galliano. Yeah. Um, All I know is my parents had like a bottle of it sitting in our house forever. 
because I think someone brought it as a New Year's Eve present. Galliano or, or yeah, Sambuca? Galliano. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's just going to be something that sits on your bar. Yeah. So Mr. Bednar claimed in his obituary to have invented the Harvey Wallbanger. Uh, Duke Antone claims to have invented it. But as we all know... What are the borders of his duchy? <laughs> the South Beach, South, yeah. Southern California. How far does his writ run? Uh, I think right down to the very tip of Mexico. Yeah. But there's some contention along the border. Yeah. Duke Don Henley. So is Duke what? Antone. Okay. His first name was Donato. So. Okay. Yeah. That's like from an Edgar Allan Poe story. Sounds like it, doesn't it? Yes. The elixir of Anton. <laughs> that sounds more like a uh, a really shitty like nineteen nineties fantasy novel, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the elixir of Anton. Seventh in a nine part series. A young boy grows from being a farmer's son to saving the world with a sword and a magic pitchfork. And along the way he encounters a spunky girl and her dragon sidekick. And they have adventures where they fight the Squash Queen and uh, Sir Vines a lot and uh, the Mouth of Darkness, all <laughs> while they climb Mount Pinnacle. Choose your own adventure on Mount Pinnacle. But yeah, the uh, the Harvey character was was huge throughout the seventies, and uh, and then one day it just kind of went away. I'm guessing people like many fads. It just kind of well, I know you couldn't be selling. Liquor with a cartoon character today. I think no, no Joe Campbell pretty much put the kibosh on that because this it really does look like something off of like you know what it looks like he he looks like the nerd on the nerd's candy box. He does. It also kind of reminded me of Mister Mister and Miss Miss. I don't know them. Oh, you mean the little books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Mister Happy, not the, Mr. not the Broken Wings guy. No, but that's no. more than one Mister Mister, right? I don't know. Which well, we get clearly really... the name implies there's only one guy. Which would be really confusing if there was more than one Mister Mister in the band, Mister Mister. Do you think in Latin America that band was El Señor Señor? El Señor Señor, or would it be Mister Señor? No, I. Who knows? I don't know. Well, you know, on uh, Kim Possible, there were the two, the, the father and son villains, Señor Senior and Señor Senior Junior. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking, or in Germany, were they? Air, air. You know that was uh, Ricardo Montalban and Nestor Carbonell. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Was... He had some great voice acting on that show. He, uh, yeah, he did a lot of voice acting in his later years. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But that's the Harvey Wallbanger. Yeah. Our, uh, once I opened Harvey, the Galli... Harvey, I hardly... No. Harvey. Once I opened the Battle of Galliano, I do just want everyone out there to know that our carpet immediately turned yeah, the, into... The sh- Battle of Galliano was fought at the base of Mount Pinnacle. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did want to let everyone know that uh, the moment I opened the Galliano and it touched orange juice and vodka, our entire house carpet turned into shag. It was amazing. And it's like not just one color shag, but it's oh, like no. like brick red, orange, and yellow in equal parts, sort yeah. of flecked intermittently. It's great. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, also, apparently, like, three other couples came over and we had to fuck them. And <laughs> we did. <laughs> right. It was the ice storm up in here. It was crazy. I was, I was Kevin Klein in this shit with a big ribbed uh, turtleneck and uh, and uh, my quiet despair. And Josh's beard, like, retracted into his face and he grew, like, sideburns and a giant mustache. Giant, ginormous mustache. Sam Elliott style. Yeah, and... Uh, we haven't I, talked about Sam Elliott on this. We haven't talked about The End of Justified, have we? No, we haven't, because it has been quite a while since we did a show, which is yeah. my fault. It's okay. You, you liked The End of Justified, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it had everything that I needed. I didn't I needed want Loretta it to... to come back. I needed uh, just the bar- barest mention of Ellen May. 
uh, and that's Brad's all I need. Do we ever figure out if it's Ella May or Ellen May? It's Ellen May. Oh, okay. I was not that keen on Sam Elliott. I thought he was a little dull. Yeah, I think they kind of underutilized him a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. He sounded like a, this is my thing. Turtle. He sounds like a deaf, no, he sounds like a deaf Indian, like a deaf Native American. He looks like a turtle without his mustache. But, but he talks like a deaf Native American. My people, I am Sam Elliott. Do you want the Tumblrettes to come get us? No, if, you know what? That would mean they actually listened to the show. Well, that's so a good point. That would be a, a step. When we release but he does. He sounds episode... like, a, like he's like Chief Dan George. If Chief Dan George was de- was deaf. When we release this episode, can we like advertise it with the um, one show Tumblr doesn't want you to hear, and then we'll get no, like I'm a signal sure boost? No, I'm pretty sure that all shows Tumblr doesn't want you to hear. Okay. I'm saying for many years, my people. Also, I was in the Big Lebowski. Yeah, he's a narrator in The Big Lebowski. And the narrator of several uh, truck commercials. Yeah. And he's Sam Elliott. You get the big... But then, and then he had the mustache off. Yeah, the which, mustache yeah, off is like what threw me. he has a weird beak that looks like he can break uh, eggs with it. You know, the little turtle beak. Yeah. He used to you know, break open the eggs. Or a squid beak. Yeah, those are scary. Yeah. Did you ever dissect squids in school? No. Really? No. That's a great dissection. I did a frog in seventh grade. Kids? If you're if you're ranking dissections, go straight for the squid. Fuck that fetal pig, sheep's brain. Fuck that shit. You want to go right for the squid. I think my lifelong problem with frogs started in the seventh grade. Now that I think about it, really? Yeah. Was it uh, when you were in that all frog gifted class where they thought you were a frog, so they put you in with the really gifted frogs? Which, frankly, even the gifted frogs are not. Uh, it turned out that I was a toad the whole time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's awkward. Super awkward. Because you're an average toad. Yeah. Like. Average toad gift. I mean, I don't want to get racially essentialist about toads and frogs, but the average toad is like I a think, gifted frog. Science, you know, the bell curve has shown me is like 15 IQ points higher than the average frog. Yeah, it was really awkward for me. There was that whole thing with the warts, and I, you know, anyway. Teenagers can be so cruel. They can be, especially when you're a little bit bigger than everybody else in the class. Yeah. Because you're a toad, but you don't want to tell them that. Not that it's an excuse, because it's not even if I was like, oh, I'm a toad, that would have just thrown me under the. And the thing is, they all have shit they're dealing with. Uh, So what movie did we watch this week? Oh, right. Is that enough on the Harvey Wallbanger? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yep. I think, um, I don't know, we'll get into, you know, our final judgments later, but it's it's not an offending beverage. Yeah, I'm going to drink it. I think it's actually pretty tasty. It just tastes like a screwdriver with something. something, With a little bit of, like. Like maybe a screwdriver that got roofied. Yeah, if you you made a screwdriver, but then instead of using a straw or a swizzle stick, you took a Twizzler Mm -hmm. and stirred it around in there. Does a Twizzler equal roofie? It does in my brain. Well, I don't know what. Maybe we've had different. It really is a crisis on college campuses. Different experiences days. with Twizzlers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think the record to show I have had no experiences with Twizzlers of note. You never gone to the movie theaters and sipped your soda through a Twizzler? Uh, no, actually, no. Really? No. That's like a thing, no, man. That's an no. experience. So well, we watched this week uh, the Two Jakes from 1990, which is a sequel to what, Kate? Chinatown. Chinatown, the uh, 1970 whatever classic of uh, film noir. Directed by Roman Polanski. Directed by Roman Polanski, starring Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson uh, John Dunaway. Huston, Faye Dunaway, uh, and a cast of several others. James uh, Hong. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Covetous Shen. Yeah. Um, but this is the sequel. This, this is, the is not sequel the movie Chinatown. It was a good almost 20 years. It's something like 17 years between. 19, this one was 1990. Yeah. Between um, and Chinatown was like seventy three, seventy four, something like that. Yeah, but it only takes place like what ten years later. I think it takes roughly the same place amount of time later. Oh, okay. Um, um, called the two Jakes. 
the two jake so how about i give a refresher on chinatown as briefly as i can because as you'll uh come to learn trying to watch this movie without the palimpsest of the chinatown sitting next to you is going to be really difficult. Yeah, it, it is. is uh, and it's it almost was. like an episode of a TV show that requires you to have watched yesterday because like th- there are several all last key season. plot elements that aren't even like explained unless you've watched uh, Chinatown first. It's like you missed the entire uh, episode, the entire season of The Walking Dead, where they're in the prison, and then you come back to season four and they're talking about the prison, and you're like, okay, I what? But it would be more than that because it would be like they were implying shit that went on in the prison because yeah. this movie implies stuff from the first movie that they never stated. And there's explicitly. a lot of like getaway and like callbacks and subtle yeah. things. Anywho, which, okay, anyway. so Chinatown. Brief discussion. Uh, brief summary of Chinatown. Uh, Jack Nicholson plays Jake Giddis, a private investigator who is hired by a woman who he thinks is who claims to be Evelyn Mulray. Turns out that's a fraud. Uh, and the real Evelyn Mulray, played by Faye Dunaway, then contacts him and says that she's married to the water commissioner and um, uh, she wants to find out who's trying to find out dirt on him. Through a series of misadventures, it turns out that there's a grand conspiracy involving uh, trying to buy up water rights and annex uh, part Los of... Los Angeles, right? Well, north of Los Angeles. Yeah. Annex part of uh, the uh, San Fernando Valley into Los Angeles in order to make a lot of money for John Houston's character, uh, Noah Cross, who is... Uh, Faye Dunaway's father, also who has uh, apparently fathered a daughter with his own daughter, which is just gross. Uh, and brings up the John Houston. How could you? I know John Houston. How could you? National treasure, John Houston. <laughs> well, you know, and the weird thing in the first movie is like there's so all these scenes. There's like a couple of scenes with Jack Nicholson having arguments with John Houston about like what are your intentions toward my daughter, and you when you realize that Jack Nicholson actually was stupping John Houston's daughter at the time. Oh, holy watching shit! The movie. You're it's right. right. You're like, what is going on? Here? They were together then. Right. He was still with Angelica Houston. <laughs> holy shit! My mind just got blown. So, anyways, through a series of misadventures, uh, he gets set up, and uh, there <laughs> they go on the run, and. Um, He's trying to save Evelyn, but it's too late. She's been set up. They've been, uh, and in a confrontation in the aforementioned Chinatown, Faye Dunaway's character is shot dead, and uh, the daughter and Noah Cross get away uh, because, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. Yeah. It's the famous last mo- line of the movie. Okay, so Kate, pick up where we left off. So The Two Jakes takes, off, takes place 10-ish years later. Uh, in 1940 something, like like 48 or 49, yeah. Like that. Um, which you can tell by all the ties. Mm-hmm. Ties are a mad tie game in this movie. Yeah, tie game is on point. Wide lapels, lapels oh. you could park those enormous cars on. Oh, and they tried. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what they Jake... call them car, car parking lapels by Hager. <laughs> Jake bought me 500 car parking lapels. Jake is currently working a case with a uh, a man also named Jake, who's played by Harvey Keitel who is being cheated on by his wife. And he wants Jack Nicholson's character to catch her in the act and record him catching her in the act so that he can use it to get a divorce. The day of, they're doing the sting in the hotel room and his wife is getting stripped next door. And then... By his business partner. By his business partner. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Uh, And Harvey Keitel busts in and there's a little bit of a kerfluffle and Harvey Keitel actually shoots his business partner dead that's an issue for a variety of reasons so then (laughs) so jake takes the tape 
I'm sorry, Jake, Jack Nicholson's character, takes the tape and stores it in a safe in his office. The question is not is whether or not he'll be charged with murder. Uh, right. Whether or not this was something prearranged in order for him to get rid of his business partner. Or if it would be more of a crime of passion. Or if it was, right. Or if it was so, just a crime of passion. To protect himself, Jake, Jack Nicholson's character, takes the tape and locks it in the safe in his office. And that becomes something of a MacGuffin for the movie. Because everybody... are wanting to get their hands on this tape. There's a lot of people that want the tape, including... Harvey Keitel's character. Mm -hmm. Ruben Blades' character, who's a sort of hood who may be in business with Harvey Keitel in some way. Yeah, who it seems is in business. Uh, The business partner's now widow, Madeline Madeline Stowe, wants it. For, so she can prove that, you know, it was a setup and that her right. husband wasn't cheating on her and that it was all this bitch's fault and all this. Um, well, it wasn't somehow, that he wasn't cheating. It was that he, that it was a setup. Or that it was a setup yeah. so she can get the life insurance. It's, so it's a whole thing. he's listening he's to murdered, the tape in the yeah. office after... Uh, after going well, after going to visit Harvey Keitel at his real estate development, he's sort of a William Levitt type, building tract home, affordable tract homes for the military uh, and young on, couples. On it turns out the land from the first movie, because we see this because Jake recognizes where he's going and says, "Oh, you know, there used to be orange groves. This orange land used to be worth a lot of money." Turns out that the land is still worth a lot of money. It's still worth a lot of money, but also has some seismic problems because of natural gas and oil deposits beneath it, which we learn while he's out there on the visit. Also out there on the visit, he gets blowed up by a natural gas explosion and gets his bell rung good. Oh yeah. At which point we realize we learn um, we meet we meet uh, Harvey Keitel's wife, uh, played by Meg Tilly. We go back then to the office. He listens to the tape and hears on the tape. The name Catherine Mulray, who is the name of the daughter slash sister of Faye Dunaway's character from the first movie, Chinatown. This causes him to freak out. He is intrigued. Uh, a little bit and is incredibly sweaty. Yes. <laughs> like seriously, mega sweaty. Yes. Uh, at, at some point. Meanwhile, um, he gets leaned on, like I said, by Ruben Blades' sort of gangster character who was Probably in business with the dead man. Everyone has, all of the parties want the tape because they all get something different if it was proven to be a murder versus a setup. (coughs) So that's what's going on. He goes to see James Hong for a little bit after he figures out the cat. Well, and it also turns turns out that the mineral rights, well, first of all, the land that they're on, he knows, used to belong to Catherine Mulray. Yes. Um, But it turns out that she kept the mineral rights separately from the land rights that she sold to the partnership of Harvey Keitel and his business partner. Mm-hmm. And she did that through a weird arrangement with Ruben Blades' gangster character. So. Where he was sort of a middleman for... And this is this plot is very convoluted. Not yes. unlike the original movie. Meanwhile, <coughs> by the way, if it's obvious to you at this point that Meg Tilly is Catherine Mulray... You're not alone. You're not alone. It becomes very obvious early in the movie, like an hour before they re- re- reveal it to us. Oh, longer. Yeah. I feel like... It was about an hour that, that she is... In fact, the daughter from the first movie. And Jake doesn't realize it, but it's it. That's one of the the weaknesses of this movie is that it does not play ahead of its. I mean, it, right. Its the audience gets way, way ahead of its characters. Right. The character. I mean. Yeah, um, he meanwhile, said. Madeline Stowe is trying to use the tape for a divorce hearing. Uh, the city police sort of set Jake up to make it look like he was uh, hustling in a gay nightclub where he had gone to meet with an engineer to talk about. Why the land was unstable. Because there's this mysterious engineer he keeps running into who gives him these cryptic messages. <coughs> In a um, really, there was the scene of the La Brea Tar Pits I thought was really good. There, oh, yeah. there is, we'll talk when we're done. But, yeah. um, so anyhow, um, 
He's also following the leads on this blonde woman that he's photographed Harvey Keitel and the company of that he can't figure out who she is. Turns out she's an oncologist and he's uh, dying of some kind of cancer. Yeah. Um, And it turns out this was all an elaborate scheme to... uh, Secure, the secure the both the land rights and the mine, mineral rights for Catherine, for Catherine to protect her uh, financially in her uh, after he dies. Um, because there were other people, Reuben Blades and uh, Richard Farnsworth, who was an oil man, because wanted to get his hands on the oil beneath it, yeah, uh, beneath the land. And it was all sort of an elaborate uh, shell game scheme to uh, kill off his business partner and leave her in sole possession of all of the. Stuff Money. that was worth anything. Yeah. Which he does by killing himself. And then, yes. And so come the end of the movie, himself? come the end of the movie, we're in one of the houses out in his Levittown track development. And there's a sort of, there've been little earthquake rumbles the entire time. And there's another rumble of an earthquake and uh, oil and natural gas actually starts coming into the house. Like through the, through the pipes. pipes yeah. We've, we've set, we set this up earlier by the water had had natural gas in it. Like uh, one of the characters had shaken up a bottle of it and it had, poofed out like coca-cola yeah um so he says uh, i'm just gonna sit here and have a cigarette uh because he wants to decides to kill himself to prevent any questions at an inquest about whether what his motives were or anything like that if he dies some... that way they couldn't well if the idea being if they'd done an autopsy found out that he died of cancer it would have opened up all the questions about yeah you know the, the would she be able speed. to inherit you can't murder somebody and da 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 so, and we end with Catherine Moway and Jack Nicholson having a scene in his office. She's saying, you know, the past never really goes away. And he's like, nope, nope, doesn't. And we end the movie. Yep. That's and, the two Jakes. And it's a two hour. It's a it's two hours a, and 20 minutes. It's a long movie. Yeah. Yeah. So what'd you think, Kate? I liked it. I think it probably gets a really poor reputation. A lot of the movie reviews I read about it from the time just made it sound really mediocre. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was mediocre at all. I think it had some stylistic issues. Like Jack Nicholson's character was never wearing anything in period. Yeah. <laughs> like it was the least amount of being in period it had to be while everyone else was wearing all these like, you know, hats and spats and everything like that. And that just kind of stuck out to me. It's not neither here nor there. Um, the plot was confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I had to we had to pause several times so I can be like, okay, so Josh, remind me what's going on here with this and that. And it just had some really weird elements. Mm-hmm. Like it was a solid movie, but they could have cut out the really weird scenes that go nowhere, like that one with Madeline Stowe, where they like maybe have sex. Yeah, maybe I don't. still don't understand that scene, and it feels like some like I just tonally missed something there. Or like. The continuing cycle of incest. At There's the a end. scene where she maybe seduces Jack Nicholson or doesn't. I'm not clear. Yeah, it's weird. Um, except he basically no, she does. I think she comes on to him so she can have sex with him and get access to the right, tape. But do they actually have sex, or had he just had his bell rung and he was imagining it? Or I don't know, because he pushes her down on the ground and like slaps her around. But then a there's like a bit. hard cut to them in the office the next day, and it's yeah, like, and what's... she's wearing the same outfit, right? Anyway, I don't understand. it was weird. There was like that scene was weird. The color saturation was off, but which that apparently was, was part of the bad transfer, is what yeah. Jack Nicholson says. And uh, then the ending where Catherine Mulray tries to like kiss Jack Nicholson, and mm-hmm. I'm like, no, he loved your mommy and your sister. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you're was, kind of a dad, dad. Yeah, you're it's, damaged. You're a bit of a, well, you're also a bit of a father figure, if anything. Yeah. So and he sort of pushes her away. Is like, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. Um. Yeah, I mean, it was... I liked it. I, I liked it more than I thought I was going to, um, because I really liked Chinatown. Yeah. And I had this sort of image of it as sort of a mess and a and a abject failure, which it clearly is not. No, it's not. Um, it, the biggest thing flaws that I can ascribe to it are, A, 
it has this core MacGuffin that really isn't a MacGuffin that's obvious from the get-go, which is the, the identity of the Meg Tiller character. And B, it just, it could be tightened up a little bit. Uh, the first one is such a clockwork machine of, uh, of storytelling mm-hmm. that even though it's a two-hour and ten-minute movie, every scene is moving you forward in some way. And, and it works so well because there are, it's, a, con, it's a, a complicated enough story that it can jump around from story element to story element and keep each of the plates moving forward just fast enough that you aren't paying close enough attention to put all the pieces together until it doesn't let you get ahead of it. Yeah. Um, which I think this movie did. Um, it also has a sort of awkward voiceover, which I'm under- given to understand Jack Nicholson went back and took out in a, in a DVD reissue, reissue, which I think is good. Some of the musical cues are weird. Yeah. His, his, I forgot about his, his narration and there's a lot of like really weird metaphors that don't go anywhere. And he's like, but there's a lot in it that I really like. There are a lot of callbacks to the first movie that are really subtle. I mean, it was Robert, Robert Town wrote it. So it mm-hmm. was sort of, he was going to direct it and there was a whole bunch of behind the scenes thing and who cares. Um, but there are a lot of really subtle callbacks to the first movie, like when Carvey Keitel says, you know, you think you know, but you don't, mm-hmm. which is almost exactly something that, that John Huston said to him in the first and movie. And then he goes out to meet uh, the guy in the oil field. In the oil field, yes. which is very much like when he went drove out to see John Huston at the at the uh, the orange groves. Um, and, there, and just a lot of stylistic choices that are very similar, like a lot of the sort of driving shots where it's from behind his head and we see him pulling into driveways and things like that. And the production design looks really great. And... Um, I don't know. I think this is a movie that is a good movie that probably could have been great in the hands of a team that wasn't feeling a lot of pressure and fighting with each other all the time. Or even if it wasn't associated with Chinatown, it would have been a good noir. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. About someone finding a long lost daughter or, you know, something like that. And there's lots of great little sort of period notes, you know, like the things about uh, this tracked community not being able to sell to Jews um, Jack Nicholson's wardrobe. And that, by the way, the, the not being able to sell to Jews is a callback to, in Chinatown, there's that yeah. moment when they go to the retirement home and he's like, do, do you accept people of the Jewish persuasion? Yeah. So, and just lots of little callbacks that I thought were really interesting and thoughtful in ways that I don't think if you were making sort of a ham-fisted sequel today, you would get. So, yeah, I, I rather liked it. I was surprised how much I liked uh, this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's currently streaming on HBO Go if anybody wants to watch yeah. it. So uh, if you're a fan of Chinatown, don't worry that you will be so hurt and disappointed by it. I think that was my big worry is that I've just watched it and it would be shitting all over Chinatown. And I don't think it is. I think it's a, you know, I think it's a movie that sort of, if anything, it feels like a loving homage to Chinatown. Because it is. Right. I Instead mean, of, you know, it doesn't even feel like a sequel. It feels more like an homage with yeah. some of the same characters. Which, by the way, that's the, uh, the other big problem. This movie does not stand on its own. I mean, it, one of the key plot elements is that Harvey Keitel's business partner was blackmailing him by threatening to reveal his wife's secret if he didn't give her, if they didn't give him the mineral rights. They don't mention what her secret is, which is that she's the child of incest. Right. You're, you're, I mean, like, you wouldn't know that. You don't... It's the second that Jack Nicholson hears anything about the Mulrays, if you hadn't seen the first movie, you'd be like, okay, what's... Well, what David is... Keith's character mentions it once. Mentions, yeah. you know, where maybe you were blackmailing based on incest or something. Oh, yeah, David Keith's character, who's the son of the police The guy chief who shot the her in the first place, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a sequel, but it doesn't stand alone. Not in the way that I think something like The Lost World would, you know as an example, stands alone as its own sequel. It's interesting because, um, you know, with sequels, there's that path. Like, you can either go heavy continuity and just yeah. pick the story, the same story right up. Right. Or you can do a different story in the same universe. And this one kind of straddles both lines. Yeah, definitely. On it. Um, and that's, 
you know maybe that's one of the reasons why it didn't feel right it does have a feeling of sort of like you know i can't get what they're going for but i liked it i i was that's that scene in the la brea tar pits where where the engineer character is explaining to sort of a garden club about how the only reason there are all these thousands and thousands of animals there is because each one of the animals that got trapped there came there trying to eat another animal that had already gotten caught there. It's just sort of a really vicious metaphor. And uh, and it's life. done at night. And it's very spooky. And, and that's yeah. re- that was a really well done scene, I thought. And, the, you know, the the, real is the look on Harvey Keitel's face, his character, when he realizes that he has to kill himself. Yeah. And the way that he can... And it's thrust upon him. It's not like he gets to choose. It has to be now or never. Right. And he's like, well, crap, got to blow myself up in this explosion. And it's really affecting it's that really little affecting. scene where the two of them realize that... They're both just trying to protect this woman that they care about. Hence, the two Jakes. There you go. But I'm a diggity doo. Yeah. So I was surprised. I think that's a good sequel to go out on. On, on our, our, sequ- our sequel train. Yeah. Because yeah. I think we got to find something else now. Like, seriously, Josh and I were considering watching Son of the Mask, and we've looked at each other and we're like, we can't. We yeah, can't I think do once that. we get to Son of the Mask, that's. Uh... We can do vermouth cocktails, but we can't do Son of the Mask. Yeah. Oh, hey, speaking of Robert Town, you know, he's writing for Mad Men right now. Uh, or he's a. Not, I mean, not for too done, much longer. But yeah, yeah. So we're uh, we just watched uh, the penultimate episode, the second to the last episode. Mm-hmm. I am, as you know, Kate, very concerned about the fate of the Fan- Francis laundry washing machine. Do you think she still has the same washing machine? I think that that is uh, a long and fruitful relationship between Betty and her washing machine spin cycle. Well, what is it going to do now? It's. Uh, I think it's probably just going to spin one last lonely spin cycle. Do you think that? Um, it and uh, Peggy's relaxicizer can get together. <laughs> we can, you know, in my fan fiction, they already have. <laughs> in my fan fiction, it's uh, yeah, relaxicizer washing machine fanfic. Uh, very oh, <laughs> maybe um, maybe uh, Parker Abrams will come back for it. Yeah, and may- what if that character, the guy who sold, was he air conditioning salesman or a washing machine? He was salesman? the washing. Yeah, he sold. No, the- wait, no. That was the uh, he was an air conditioning salesman, right? Because he came and she had to turn him away, but then she thought but it was about the episode him while, of the washing while machine. she was yeah. masturbating. What if that guy, the air conditioning salesman, yeah. that she imagined having sex with, who was played by Parker Abrams yeah. from season for season four of Buffy, what if that character were actually like the father of Parker Abrams from Buffy? Are you suggesting that the Mad Men universe and the Buffy universe are the same? The Whedonverse? <laughs> Everything I, in the Whedonverse is Mad Men? That would explain a lot of Roger's behavior. What if Roger is just an undying vampire who has run this advertising agency forever? Well, that's how I felt like about Bert, because Bert was old in the first season. Right? And he made it like 10 years after that. <laughs> like Maybe he's just like a demon lord or something. Here's an idea. What mm-hmm. if when Don goes to California on one of his like weird freakouts mm-hmm. where he does... Do you think there's like a lost episode where he ended up in Sunnydale? I think he did already end up in the Buffy universe when he was like with those weird Lotus Eater people at the swimming pool. Yeah. uh, Where they were all like having threesomes and talking about Sartre. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I am uh, excited to see. We get you. you, you You're going to a wedding this weekend. I am. Yeah. We can't. uh, You're going to be back for Mad Men though, right? God, yes. Awesome. I've watched Mad Men. I watched the first episode live, Mm -hmm. like from the beginning. And I, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself when the show is over. I'm going to cry a little bit. Damn, if I won't be there for that. I'll be there for that TV show. Okay. Hey, uh, if you want to get up with us, you can reach us by email at pntcast at gmail.com. You can reach us on the internet. 
We are at pntcast.wordpress.com or prefernot2.com. We are on iTunes. We would really appreciate an iTunes review. Uh, if you listen to the show and you kind of like it, if you like it a lot, if you like it any, uh, give us a review. We will be ever so grateful for an iTunes or a Stitcher review or anything. Yeah, we're on Stitcher. Or just a note from you. Just saying, hey, man. We're lonely. Uh, you exist. I acknowledge your existence on this tiny blue marble. You just went into Don Draper territory like if he was trying to sell you a Harvey Wallbanger. <laughs> Reach out for your friend Harvey Wallbanger. Harvey Wallbanger doesn't need selling. Harvey Wallbanger is. It's you who needs to sell yourself to Harvey. Nice. Nice. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> hey, you want to play Red Deer Rather? Uh, Yeah. Okay, who wants you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? You know I'm gonna go first. Okay, go for it. All right, so Josh, would you rather have to walk on your hands the rest of your life, mm-hmm. like anywhere you move, every time you move, you gotta walk on your hands, or use your feet as hands, like everything you do, you have to cook with your toes, like you have to chop up things with your toes instead of your hands, you have to tie your shoes. Well, I guess you couldn't do that. To get dressed with your toes, drive so with your do, feet. I can do anything with my hands. Do I have to walk anywhere, or can I just sit? In which one? The one where I have to walk on my hands. Well, no, you could just sit, but how are you going to go to the bathroom? Eh, whatever. I still got to have hands, man. All right, well, which one are you going to... Yeah, I'm going to take the hands. I'm going to take the hands and just never move from this You seat. have hands in the other scenario. Yeah, but they're useless. It's, use like it's like having dream hands. Like, you can't do anything with them. All right, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm going to sit in the chair. I'm, it's going to be Wally. I'm just going to sit in my lounge chair... And use my hands. I feel like that episode, well, that's a really great Because yeah, I could get a hover talk. chair. You didn't say anything about no hover chairs. I didn't, but... It... Boom. Hover chair Trump. <laughs> okay. Trump. Right. Hover chair Trump. Okay. So, basically, this is a really easy one. The rest of your life, you get to pick one. Mm-hmm. Bra or panties? Like I can only wear one? Like yeah. if I choose bra, I don't have any panties? Yeah. Okay, that's easy. That's panties. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I gave you a chip shot. Yeah. So you're just going to let it, let them hang out. It's, I, you know, is there, okay, can we do a thing? No, no, you know what, because going commando is gross. Um, and periods and stuff. Um, yeah, periods are the issue. Well, yeah, I mean, you could always use tampons. You could use a diva cup. No, those things are really uncomfortable and weird. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm I already, disagree with you on that. No, I, I'm, I get enough of my menstrual blood mm-hmm. during my period just by patting and tamponing it. I don't need to actually physically empty a cup full of my menstrual mm-hmm. blood and then rinse it. And put it back in. Is that our cocktail next week? Minstrel cup? Mm. No, minstrel cup is actually, that's the fourth leg of the Triple Crown. <laughs> it's, in, uh, it's in Tennessee. Yes. It's in uh, late May, the yes, minstrel cup. The minstrel cup. Does it involve minstrel shows? No. God, don't be offensive. <laughs> Have you ever known the people that pronounce the words the same? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, definitely panties, because, I mean... Bras are kind of a giant social construct anyway. That no, they are and they aren't. Because, you know, you got to have something to hold things up. Uh, Yeah, but... It's like carrying your books instead of having a backpack. Okay, here's a you question. You can technically carry your books, but a backpack it works better. Here's a question. By the way, um, I have no idea what I'm talking about because I am a boy. Well, and it's not like I carry my boobs if I'm not yeah, wearing you know what I'm a saying, bra. Like you're, but, but no. In fact, the, the bra, bra carries just, my yeah, boobs. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. The bra shifts the, 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 the burden of lifting to the strong back muscles as opposed to the weak shoulder and abdomen muscles. I think it's just more of a garment to contain them so they're not all wobbling around. Yeah, that too. Uh, question. If mm. I choose the panty one, which I probably will, am I still allowed to wear an undershirt? 
Yeah, sure. I didn't say anything about undershirts. Okay, cool. All right, then. But it can't panties. be a, a bra-shaped undershirt with wire in it. And it can't be like tank tops with a, a bra- built-in no bra. Brund- brunder shirts. No built-in bras. No. They're so weird to begin with. Built-in bras. Yeah. Yeah, that's like shoulder pads. But it's just weirder. like so. It's just an extra layer of fabric that isn't functional at all, pretty much. Yeah. I've discovered that because my boobs. What are has built-in bigger. bras? I'll show you. I have a tank top that has a built-in bra. What is wrong with America? Get your shit together. They're great when you're training, like if you're a training bra, like you haven't really. So it's not like to... it's not like swim pants, where like guys swim pants have underpants built into them, or some of them do. I'll show you. It's you it's know. it's like a bra that's inside of the uh, oh, inside of the tank top. Yeah. Okay. As always, I've enjoyed spending a lot of time with you, and I hope that you guys will do so again uh, when we do our show. The mysteries of femininity explained by Kate. That's our next podcast. What the is mi- yeah with the, the menstrual cup? Of, the mysteries of femininity. It'll be the end of May, so we just we'll have a menstrual cup winner. Yeah, cranberry juice goes yeah. in the mental Cran- cup. Cranberry juice is a favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, he's he's a three year old uh, uh, gelding. He's mm-hmm. uh, a favorite in this year's menstrual cup. Cranberry juice is. He's the son of uh, of uh, Ocean Spray and Blue Ocean Roses. Spray. Ocean Spray was a, a quadruple tr- crown winner. Yeah. back in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. As always, I've enjoyed spending some time with you, and we hope that you will come along and spend some time with us again. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I know I can make noise somehow. Kakumo.